Hello and welcome to Close Calls on the 42 Dolly, brought to you in association with Air Sport. Uh, you know the drill at this stage. Every week, every Friday around this time, we get the hottest pundits in the game on the line to look ahead to the biggest sporting event of the weekend. And this weekend, it is all about the Champions Cup round two of the pool stages. Uh, my name is Gavin Casey. I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Bailey of the 42 next to me here. Ryan, how's tricks? Gav, all good, yeah. Delighted to be here. Looking forward to another big weekend of uh, Champions Cup rugby. Big time. Uh, myself and Ryan are thrilled also to be joined on Skype by the former Ireland head coach, Eddie O'Sullivan. Eddie, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, we uh, will be chatting obviously about Champions Cup uh, in due course I think um, there are two things you and I were keen to touch on firstly uh, I think the biggest rugby story of the week certainly in these parts is um, the controversy surrounding the Irish women's setup and the coaching situation there Ryan the RRFU have put out a statement today clarifying the uh, job vacancy that they posted uh, a couple of days ago what to make of it all it's a little bit muddled isn't it yeah, I suppose, Gav, just to start, like a, a hugely disappointing, discouraging, disheartening week. I mean, um, and that's kind of just from the outside looking in, us kind of outside the bubble, so to speak. I can only imagine what the players who 100% dedication, commitment to the cause, make huge sacrifices, both family life, work life, are feeling. Um, we got a glimpse of that on social media, a couple of them voicing their anger, um, which I think anger is probably the right word because that kind of came through in it. Um, you know, on the back of the World Cup, which was obviously disastrous, um, you know, while though it was disastrous, you'd hope that, you know, hitting rock bottom was going to be the turning of the tide. You'd hope that those disappointing results and the disappointing tournaments on the fields was going to spark and, and be the catalyst for change. Um, unfortunately, this week, um, doesn't appear to be so. Um, and as you say, the RFU, clarifying their position today and unfortunately it's a statement that or an explanation that shouldn't really have been necessary because they shouldn't have got themselves in this position in the first place. Ultimately the statement is just clarifying and confirming what everyone already knew is that they're looking to appoint an interim head coach for the Six Nations next year which again is, is short-sighted, a short-term solution and I suppose the word disrespectful is band being bandied about a lot this week and I think that's probably appropriate. Eddie what do you make of it? It seems like a bit of a piss take truth be told. Um, yeah, it was a bad week for the RFU and for women's rugby because by all, for all intents and purposes it looked like they were going to downgrade the women's 15s programme. Um, suspicion around that is there's a limited pot of money for women's rugby and they were going to prioritise the sevens programme because of the Olympic dimension to it. Um, which it's a pity really because if that was the direction it was going it was very disappointing. It was a bad World Cup but you know, there's no point in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And, you know, um, they were using the women as part of their pitch for the Ireland to get the, the, the World Cup in 2023. Like, they were part of the rugby community. It didn't really look like that this week. But I think that today's announcement actually is very positive for women's rugby because I, I would see the, the, the uh, silver lining in the cloud here. I think that um, there was a bit of news that I think nobody knew is that, that Tom Tierney wasn't really a full-time 15s women's coach. He was also working on the 7s. I don't think anyone knew that. Our name was aware of that. They are now. And I think they're under pressure now in his review to, to come back with a, a very strong strategic plan for the women's game. And I think part of that will be, it'll be very hard for them now not to appoint a full-time coach for the women's game. Um, they say they'll do it if necessary, but I think it'll be very hard for them to justify not having one if they're really serious about it. And um, I think for that reason, I think you know the upside of this week is that I think the RFU have to rethink their strategy and I think they'll come back and they will probably end up probably investing more in women's rugby than they may have at the start of the, thought they would at the start of the week. 
Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, like that that's the most interesting thing for me is the fact that for so long they're speaking about this World Cup in home soil and how it's an opportunity to develop the women's game here, develop players, uh, garner interest and then you get to this juncture where just after the World Cup is over and it was this crucial component in Ireland's bid to host the men's World Cup and whatever and then it's kind of like actually now that, with that, now that the women's World Cup is over we don't really have a clue what we're doing we're going to take some time in fairness and they're entitled to do that and try and figure out where we go from here but all along I thought we were being led to believe that there was a sort of a cogent plan in place for, for beyond the World Cup and it turns out it was like let's get to that and then figure it all out afterwards yeah. I think what Eddie said obviously is, is important there because you know obviously the initial reaction is one of great disappointment and anger and upset but I think if you do strip it back and um, the RFU statement kind of clarified that today you know it's a long term approach the internal review process is still going on and that's going to lead then to this strategic plan which um, they're going to launch next year so I think having an interim head coach you know they're kind of going down the under 20s model of you know Nigel Carroll and um, initially and then now Peter Malone you know they held roles with Connacht and Munster respectively while also coaching the under 20s I know it's slightly different because the women's will have hopefully more games um, aside from the the, um, the Six Nations going forward but you know, as Eddie said, like it's a long-term approach. You have to take the silver lining to it. They need to get it right, and if they can take time, then to get it right. Um, and having said that, if they if they get someone in an interim basis now for six, na- six Nations, Six Nations goes well. They sit down again, review that, and say, look, we'd like to offer that person, you know, the job going forward. Then, you know, hopefully, looking back on this week and maybe this World Cup, you'd hopefully that it works. You know, it's worked in their favour. Yeah, yeah, it might turn out to be a watershed moment. Yet, um, staying on the topic of coaches, Eddie. Uh, Munster obviously have, have finally gotten their man, or at least uh, a man. Um, he seems to be um, very highly regarded in South Africa, certainly to, speaking to a couple of people down there. And he, he's a kind of guy, while articulate and intelligent, uh, sort of goes about his business quietly in the background there, um, very involved with the forwards and, uh, and I think attacking play for the most part. But... Uh, I suppose, what do you make of the situation? Like, he's coming in, obviously, in the middle of a season. I know he's going to be sitting down with Peter Romani this week if they haven't already. Um, For a man of his relative inexperience, certainly in a head coaching position, how important are those leaders going to be, the likes of CJ, the likes of Peter Romani and Conor Murray in that Munster squad? I think there's a number of dimensions to the whole Munster thing. I think the first thing is it's good news. They've got a coach. Uh, The vacuum of Erasmus leaving... And it was a vacuum, even though he was there. You know, players are, are, are aware he's halfway out the door. And um, that wasn't good. So now they've got somebody coming in. That certainly kind of changes the focus. Everything's kind of back on track to an extent. Um, the second thing is the actual transition, that's always going to be problematic. Um, and there's a danger that if, it, if it's not a good transition, the season could get wasted. Because the reality of the transition is that if if uh, if Van Grant is is his own man, he would come in. He'd want to put his stamp on the team. He'd want to do things his way, and I think players like that. I mean, one thing players look for in a coach is a coach who knows what he wants, and tells him, gives him a sense of direction of how he wants them to go about their business. And no two coaches are the same, and they don't have to be. You know, uh, you see it in all sports in the NFL, different coaches do the things different ways. There's more maybe they skin the cat. So Van Gran has to come in and do put his stamp on the team, and, and that is a transition. Um, like He can probably try and hold the fourth until the end of the season and continue what Erasmus is doing, but that's not ideal either uh, because he's he's not singing off his hymn sheet. So I think that's just a problem they have to deal with. It's not, it's not impossible to deal with, but it's going to be tricky, and if things continue to go on track in terms of results, winning 
is a great solution to a lot of problems for for any team. And if they're getting results, I think yeah, it'll 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 be an easy transition. But if things started to go awry, it could get it become a very messy season, and it it could be a write off season very quickly if things went askew. Now, hopefully, it won't. I mean that that if they can keep things going and keep things together, but it will be a challenge. The notion that this will be some seamless seamless process. Um, and nothing could possibly go wrong is a bit naive. Um, hopefully it doesn't, and it might be better the swan on top of the lake, you know, gliding along with all the turmoil under the water. But if they can keep it like that, even for at the end of the season, it'll be fine. As the guy himself, um, we don't know a lot about him. Um, everybody says good things about him, which is good. Mind you, you don't often hear bad things about somebody coming into a new job. That doesn't, you know, usually people give them the, the benefit of the doubt. I think the big challenge for him, and I, I don't know the guy at all, obviously, is that, that step up to head coach. Mm. Um, assistant coaching is, is a very different world than being a head coach because, you know, if you're assistant coach, you're juggling three balls. If you're the head coach, you're juggling ten balls. And that's where the challenge comes in, you know. Um, even if he's a very good technician, even if he's a very good communicator, even if he's a very good coach, head coaching is a bit of a misnomer. It's actually, there's a lot more to it than coaching. And, It'll be a big change for him, I would presume, coming from a position where he's not a head coach. So they're the kind of three areas. I think the, the, definitely positive he's in there. The transition is going to be difficult for, for everybody. They might be able to keep it on track. And then can he deliver on the job requirements as a head coach, having pretty much zero experience in, in that in that environment? And it, it's a high-profile job, you know, and there's not going to be much of a honeymoon here because... There's been a bit of a honeymoon for months for the last few years, you know. That honeymoon is running out now. Yeah, big time. Um, Brian, I suppose uh, one of the things looking at, like, the transition, as Eddie puts it, uh, like Van Grand is going to come in, uh, there's talk that, like, he'll spend a couple of weeks sort of working, not working under Ramsey, but almost mm. shadowing him and just getting used to the, the whole environment. Then there's separate talk that maybe that might not be the case because South Africa want Razzy this uh, yeah. later next month. Um I'm wondering as well, like, you know, in one sense, yeah, it, it might smooth things over and it might sort of get him up to speed on things, but also, like, it, it doesn't put him in kind of an awkward enough situation in that you're not you're not able to really implement anything and you're just listening to the guy from whom you're going to take over. Like, ultimately, when Razzie is gone, things are going to change anyway. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Is, it, is, there, is the benefit of, like, shadowing the guy that's been there overstayed a little bit? Yeah, potentially. Like as Eddie was saying there, like the the transition can go one of two ways, and there's still that bit of uncertainty. We don't know how it's going to pan out. You know, leaving halfway through a, a Champions Cup pool campaign is not ideal in the best, like in any situation. So, um, but I suppose firstly, like it is a huge positive now that he's been appointed. We now know who's going to succeed Rossi when he does leave, because over the last six, seven weeks of the, this season, every time Rossi has been up for media, any time any of the players have been up, it's all been about. Rossi and Wednesday leaving last couple of weeks since since they've made that appointment and that announcement you know it's been a focus on rugby and as Eddie touched on there like it's that's a huge positive because now all the positives are the focus on rugby they've been able to kind of narrow that focus and and hopefully you know that transition you know it's it's hugely uncertain we don't know how which way it's going to go but um, as you kind of said there like it's it's difficult to difficult to know which you know, if if Rossi is overstaying his welcome, a lot of fans are kind of saying, "Well, you know, you kind of overstayed <laughs> that welcome already." What have you done but, for me lately? Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. As you say, it's it's just it's a difficult one that they find themselves in. You can see the benefits of both Rossi staying, kind of easing Johan van Graan into the job, but at the same time, Johan van Graan will want that room to kind of stamp his own authority on, on things. 
Yeah, well, um, I suppose, Eddie, if, if Munster are to implode down the line, um, it's I suppose it's difficult to say really whether a draw and cast might might be uh, considered a good or a bad result. It'll depend on the rest of the pool. What did you make of Munster's performance? There was a lot of good and a lot of bad, you know. It, it was, um, I don't know, you hear games of games of two halves. This was a game of maybe like eight eights, you know. It was, it was kind of crazy. We've seen Munster teams go away in France before and come away with a, a losing bonus point and say so we'll put that in the bank and it's been very crucial at the end of the pool. So I think on in terms of getting something out of the game, they certainly got something out of the game. They got two points, in fact. I think they were extremely lucky to get the two points because of, of the mistakes they made, I think. Um, they were very bottled, the second yellow card for sure, when Zebo slapped down the ball. like That was a definite yellow card penalty try scenario and he bottled it because he just put Conor Murray in the bin. A minute earlier, and if Munster had to play for nine minutes with thirteen men, it could have been, you know, a, a fatal blow. But it, you have to give Munster credit as well for, you know, despite shooting themselves in the foot, they still managed to find a way out of it. You know, and um, I think they'll take the result, but they won't be happy with the performance. They were, they were, they were a bit, they were a bit of their own enemy a lot of the time. I think they are struggling with their midfield. They haven't sorted out their midfield yet. Um, I think I, I'm not sure that Farrell is a solution to thirteen. And I think that this weekend, again, you know, I mean, he, I think he's a very good player, but I think he's out, like a fish out of water at 13. I think he's a 12. And he struggled against Leinster. He got caught. He bit down for Leinster's second try on a dummy runner. Uh, it's a hard place to defend the outside channel. And he threw an intercept pass um, uh, in cast. He threw a forward pass against Leinster. I think his game is struggling a bit at 13. I think he could be much more effective for him at 12 at Scandal at 13. And they're, they're, they're the kind of things you'd look at and say, you know, and... And again, there's been a lot of chopping and changing at 10. Is it Keatley? You know, is it Blendal? Is JJ in the mix? You know, there's a lot of that going on that doesn't help them settle around what they want, the team. And, and these are the guys that are, are, are directing what's going on in the field. They have a good pack of forwards who are playing pretty well. You know, um, they're not world beaters, but they're playing well as a unit. Um, but they need a guidance behind the, 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 the scrum and behind the line to keep them on the front foot. And I think... That's where Munster at the moment are kind of cutting and pasting too much and haven't really got their arms around it. Yeah, that's an interesting point you made there, like about, I suppose, firstly the struggles in midfield, uh, then you look at the 10 situation, you, you seem to have like a number of players uh, for a couple of positions that are all sort of reasonably equal in terms of ability. And like, say, Ian Keatley coming in this weekend, uh, deputising for a title of Blindell, hand around to the bench. Like, Blindell started the season such that it's difficult to even say he's going to be a major loss. You look at midfield, uh, you mentioned Chris Farrell, you don't think he's a 13, and then you look at Munster's midfield options. Generally speaking, there are a lot of 12s there. You know, like uh, Taude, yeah, you can, he can play 13. I, I'd argue that I, I, I'd still think he's actually better 12. Rory Scannell, probably better 12. Like, when they got... Well, I, I, would say, I would say Scannell, is, for me, is one of the best players Munster have had for the last two seasons. And I, I oh, think... He's, they're hiding his 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 talent under under a bucket by putting him at twelve. I think he can play thirteen. Yeah. I think he's a very very good footballer. Yeah. I, I really rate him. I could be wrong. I'm just what I'm looking at. I think at him at thirteen, it could change their midfield dynamic. And Farrell or Tarty at twelve, they're two very good players. Mm. It's just like asking guys to write checks they can't cash is not a good idea, you know. And I think Farrell has struggled at thirteen from what I've seen in, in against Leinster and last week. Um, I just think Scannell is a very, very accomplished footballer, and he's he's a very talented guy. I just, I, I just, lo I'd love to see him a shot, get a shot there. And I could be wrong, you know. I'm, 
I'm playing Monday Monday quarterback a bit here, and, and uh, but I, I just think he's he, he ticks the boxes for me, and I, you'd like to see him there. I think I think there's no loss, but like the bigger problem I think is, and this is we're talking we're down the the, the reads here talking about inside centre out centre, but the bigger problem of that is that there is no stability around that backline in terms of selection. It's it's changing every week. So if you're a forward, there's a different guy who's driving the bus every every week, you know, in terms of getting you over the game line. And um, I don't think that's good in terms of building their game and building their confidence, building what they want. They should be building these kind of performances as the season goes to get better and better if they want to be, you know, at the top table at the end of the season, you know, come to playoffs and stuff. And that, that kind of chopping and changing all the time, I don't think just serves them well in terms of trying to progress their, 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 what they're doing as a team. No matter what way they want to go, it's you need some element of stability. Uh, and I think that's probably what's missing in their back line at the moment, just holding them back a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm like, much of the talk about Rassin coming to Thomas Park this weekend, we've heard terms like different animal. Um, Dan Carter is back at 10, as, as Ryan was telling me just before we came on. Uh, there's also a, a, a an orange uh, weather warning in, in Limerick for that game, yeah. so like it's possibly not going to be that type of game where you're where you're flinging back, uh, the ball out the backs. Uh, how do you reckon once we're going to get on? Like, is this going to be a case of almost reverting to maybe not tight, but reverting to the style of play they brought to some of these big games last year, where it was kind of forward orientated and also um, not the most expansive style more abrasive and, and I, I guess a traditional South African style if you want to put it that way Yeah I think actually the weather forecast is the best news they could have had all week and I'm not taking away Anton Fowler but I think it will focus the mind for them and they will have to play a game that's very forward orientated if it's going to blow wind and rain as, as we expect um, the pressure though for that is going to be on Murray and Keighley now no worries about Murray I think he's Still, for me, one of the best scrum halves in the world um, and top of his game. But I, I think Keatley really, he's capable of playing a really good game and managing it. But again, his consistency in doing that has struggled. So if Keatley hits the straps tomorrow with Murray and the weather's bad, I think Munster will beat Racing. Um, I think they won't be at all put up by the conditions. And that's not taken away from the fact that um, if the weather was good, they wouldn't beat him either. But I think it'll be a if the weather was good and Rassing are throwing the ball around and Munster are trying to throw the ball around as well, I, I don't think they're set up at the moment to play like that. So I think the conditions kind of suit them tomorrow. Um, no disrespect to the fact I think they'll manage those conditions better. Um, I think their pack will rise to it. It's a home game. It'll be a raucous crowd. And French teams, like by and large, don't like playing from home. And if the weather is bad, it's another bummer for them. You know. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot in, in terms of going Munster's way tomorrow, I think. So... I expect them to win the game. I don't think it'll be a classic in terms of rugby, but it could be a classic in terms of game management, and it could be a classic for the for the fans. And I, I think it won't be they won't win by much if they do. But I think Munster will get it done tomorrow. The way things are set up from could be eating my words tomorrow night, but I, I I'm I'm actually I'm actually quite optimistic for Munster tomorrow, and in, in, in the circumstances as they arise. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it plays out for Munster. Uh, Ryan, Johnny Sexton back for Leinster and a couple of changes in their side as well. Yeah, like obviously Ross Byrne deputised last week against Montpellier incredibly well. Like he, he came up with a couple of big plays. Not the only one, obviously, who stood up for Leinster last week and, and kind of showed what he can do on the biggest stage. But any team with Johnny Sexton in is automatically a better team. Um, that's a huge boost for Leinster automatically. Um, they haven't got a great record over in Glasgow. I think the last time they won over there was 2012. Um, again, the weather's meant to be quite poor for Glasgow tomorrow. So um, Dave Rennie, the Glasgow coach has kind of said I think he used the worm arm arm wrestle he's expecting an arm wrestle so you know 
that's an interesting one. I think they were they were very impressive last week, Leinster against Montpellier. Obviously, they're quite a young side, missing a lot of leaders in that group, but um, they came through, stood up. Huge physical test for them um, and came away with the bonus points. It was a, a really encouraging start. Um, this week is another test. Um, you know, the big games are coming thick and fast for them. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how they go. Sexton's obviously a huge, um, huge boost, but I think Nasewa just as much um, in midfields. You know, Eddie was talking about the instability, I suppose, in Munster's midfield and backline. Uh, Leinster don't have the same extent of problems, but with Nasewa out and no Reid coming in to partner Henshaw in there, it just it makes that midfield channel very vulnerable for them. I think they had a few problems last week when Nasewa did go off injured. Um, I think no Reid missed six tackles when he came on. Um, and straight away, I think Fran Stain got the ball. Um, and they just ran straight through them. Um, so that's, that will be an area of concern. And I, I presume Glasgow, Dave Rennie, I was just speaking to him actually on the phone before we came on air. He didn't really want to elaborate too much on where they'll, they'll target Leinster. He did mention Sexton, they'll look to disrupt you know, when he gets on the ball naturally, as all teams yeah. do now. Um, but I presume that midfield channel is going to be some an area where they will target again. Yeah, Eddie, if the wet weather is to suit Munster, is an argument to be made that Leinster in Glasgow against a team like Glasgow might be slightly inhibited by bad conditions? Um, I think they're very similar teams in how they play, so I don't I don't think it helps either of them if the weather is bad. But I think the bigger picture there is that, um, and, and this doesn't bode well for Leinster, is that Glasgow have to win this game or they're, they're out of the Champions Cup, you know, having lost last week uh, to Exeter. Um, and they played very well. I mean, they had Exeter by the throat early in the game, but Exeter dug it out as they do. Um, but if they lose at home tomorrow, it's curtains. So that it's a must-win game for 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 uh, for for for, um, for Glasgow. And I think they're Glasgow are, like are back on track again this year. I think they had a lull year after they won. Um, uh, but I think now Rennie has really tightened things up again. There, the thing worries me a little about Leinster is that they have. They've won games this year that you never saw them losing because there was so much in control, but they never won them by much. Mm. You know, I actually thought I couldn't see them losing last Saturday for the first hour. I just thought they were hitting shoulders with Montpellier. Montpellier just brought Neanderthal rugby to Dublin. They just had one-off runners, huge guys running at Leinster. Leinster were up for it. They missed some tackles for sure, but like Montpellier like didn't deliver anything other than physicality. I thought Leinster were miles ahead of them in terms of tactics and awareness scored some great tries but then you expect Leinster to kick on and really you know wrap the game up they kind of go into their shell a bit and bring the opposition onto them it's same against Munster I think they never looked like losing to Munster the Aviva Stadium but at the end of the day it was a one score game and you're going how did that happen and you'd like to see Leinster when they get into those situations now when they're at their foot in someone's throat that they really kick on and that's probably the biggest challenge for them now if it's a tight game tomorrow um, and they don't kick on, they could lose the game, and that's the worrying thing for me. Like, it's just they're, they're, you feel they're ninety percent to a huge performance, but they're not there yet, and that's they'll probably need a hundred percent performance tomorrow in Glasgow to win. If they do win in Glasgow tomorrow, I think it'll be a fantastic victory. I think it will be a really, really good victory for them because Glasgow are going to leave nothing in the tank tomorrow. They can't afford to, and that that sets the, the agenda for tomorrow. 
Yeah, I think it's also, sorry, Gav, it's probably worth pointing out as well that, you know, Stuart Hogg is straight back in for Glasgow. Yeah. First first appearance of the since the Lions tour and he's straight back in, like Dave Rennie, not taking any chances there. And as Eddie said, must win for them. Um, full house. Um, and that ground is a real fortress for them. Like, it's, it's a quite a tight, small ground. It's a hard um, ground, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't want to didn't say that, to be honest, because I'm going over tomorrow. So don't want to disrupt the locals no, I or whatever. It, uh, I, I won't be there and I hate it. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, the, uh, you can imagine they'll come out of the blocks fairly quickly against Leinster um, and they come out all guns blazing because as, as you said must win um, after their defeat last weekend Yeah, but is, is that an inability to put teams away Eddie and, and put the foot on the throat down to a kind of a collective inexperience or a, a team that even though they are uh, motoring along reasonably nicely are still kind of in transition like they're still trying to figure themselves out yeah, yeah that's a fair comment it could be part of that, that but you got to ask yourself if you get to a point where you have a team on their knees why not just continue what you're doing and finish them off? Because what got you to that point in the game where they were hitting by the throat, you know? Like It's like in a boxing match, you know, you, you the guy's on the ropes and you don't finish him. You back off and, and he comes back into the fight. Like, the stupid thing about last week is I, I was really, I thought Leinster were, were way better than Montpellier. And then it turned out that, you know, again, a bit like the Zebo, Alan, like the, the yellow card for Adam Byrne, that could have been a yellow, that could have been a penalty try. And it was a little tight game. And then even at the, if at the very end, the Dola did had one of the dumbest plays of the year. He just put away around the corner, and the clock runs out, and he puts a grubber kick in, and Leinster play, kick it out. Like you know, like Leinster should never have been in that position last week because they played so well. Like it's not, I'm not kicking them. I'm just saying they played so well for the first hour uh, against a, a good team, a big physical team. But they had done so well. You got to think, how could they find themselves like at the end, kind of hanging on? And it's a bit like Munster. They played so well against Munster. That they, they, they kind of the Munster game was another game where they kind of fell across the line by six points. I thought they were more than six points better than Munster on the day. Like Munster were kicking themselves after they had played so badly in some ways, and their discipline let them down. So, I think if if Leinster can put that eighty-minute performance in tomorrow, they can win in Glasgow. But it will take that eighty-minute performance uh, from them and a very good performance. But it's in them. It's about maybe tomorrow they hit the straps for the eighty minutes and they get it done. But I think. I wouldn't put the bank to put the house on tomorrow up in Glasgow because, as I say, Glasgow are a very good team. It's a very hard place to go, and Glasgow have to win. That to me is that's the that sets the whole agenda. Yeah, there, there's a question here actually on this game from Stephen Elliott on Facebook. He's asking about uh, Leinster's back three selection. He says, "Have Leinster chosen a weaker attacker in McFadden for Byrne, and is that not playing not to lose rather than to win?" Well, I think Byrne is a good player, but he's quite inexperienced, and I thought you saw that last week a bit. So I, I think McFadden brings a lot of, you know, smarts and stability into the back three. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're also you're also missing out on say who's a leader as well on the field. And McFadden would be that caliber guy. Like he's a very smart player. He's very stable influence and he's very experienced in the back three. Um, so like when you think about it, you've Carberry who's quite inexperienced back there, uh, and and you've. Um, Barry Daly, who's not that experienced, so putting McFadden into the back three kind of steadies the ship there. So I think that's that's a smart enough selection because I, I think Byrne is a very good player, but he's probably a little bit inexperienced away from home in a big game, going to be tight. I mean, he blocked that ball down last week with his hand. But I think that was a, you know, was a was arguably a, a penalty try. Yeah, yeah. And we got to dodge the bullet there. Like you wouldn't be doing that every week and expecting to get away with a penalty and a yellow card. You know? No, it was so um. So I think McFadden going in there does steady the ship a bit, and that's not probably not a bad thing because you've got Henshaw and Noel Reed in the middle of the field. That's not a hugely experienced combination either. So yeah, I, I think they're still they're still trying to like 
um, find a balance where they're being able to attack, but also keep the kind of stability and experience on the field. So I, I think those selections make sense from that perspective. Yeah, before we touch on Ulster, and we, we'll finish on Ulster as well, Eddie, uh, Kate McCarthy has, has gotten in touch with a couple of Rye Iber-raised emojis on Twitter. She's asking the Irish women's team are looking for a part-time casual coach. How are you fixed, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> well... As you know, if, if, uh, it's unlikely I'm going to be employed by the RFU, put it that way. <laughs> we'll say no more. Uh, the Ulster team is in, Eddie. You said there's a couple of uh, surprising selections. It actually, I think, came out just as we were coming over here, so I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's... Uh, now, they're going down to the south of France, which is, you know, it's it's a big one, you know. Um, and they they kind of... They had a great result last week, you have to say, against Wasps, but Wasps are going through a bad patch. And the game was was on a knife edge, really. And they changed them. They got two tries in two minutes. And the the guys who've been really, you know, Pete has been playing well, but I think the two unsung heroes um, have been McCluskey and Stockdale, who've been outstanding for also this year. Like I, I was at the Scarlets game in Ravenhill, and and the Scarlets kind of almost did a smash and grab job in Ulster twice. And Ulster teams have struggled when that's happened to them, but. Again, McCluskey uh, came to the rescue, got his hands free of the two tackles. They got two tries, and and Stockdale was a big part of that. Again, last week Stockdale got a try. McCluskey had a try. Stockdale scored five tries and five starts this season. McCluskey scored three tries and six starts. So they've been really the guys with Pieto, and suddenly you find that Stockdale's dropped. Uh, they're going for a more experienced back three with Andrew Trimble and Tommy Bow. And I just think this guy's on fire at the moment. And if you're going on to the south of France and you want an X factor that might get you across the line. And the other one then is they've, they've put Paul Marshall at nine and they've dropped John Cooney. And Cooney's been their find of the season almost in terms of place kicking. He's been very good. He missed a couple of conversions last week. But I, I've again watched him. He's he's really running the game very well. And, and Marshall's been around Ulster for a long time, Paul Marshall. He's a, he's a, he's a, one of these players who comes off the bench and lights things up, but he's never really played well for Munster as a starter. He doesn't seem to be able to control the game. And I think Cooney has been doing that brilliantly. So they're the kind of two selections that I would scratch my head and say, I'd certainly want Cooney on the field to, to manage the game. And um, Stockdale has been lighting it up. Why leave him on the bench uh, going to South of France? Where this guy, he's a monster. He's 6'5". Like, he's a huge young fella. And he's fast. And he, he's, he's, got, he's got energy at the moment. He's got confidence. And as a winger, confidence is, your, is, is basically your currency. So this guy could change a game, and I just scratch my head as to how he's he's riding the pine on Sunday, you know. Yeah, it's, it's it does strike as a curious situation and a couple of curious decisions. Like it's it, it's a sounds like a bit of a bottle job to be honest. Like it's like you're going for a kind of stability experience because it's purely because it's the south of France, and yet there's a couple of guys there, particularly Stockdale. We've seen where you like. During the week, the sort of discourse about Stockdale was that he's the prototype Ireland mm. winger for our Joe Schmidt winger more so. Well, sorry for jumping in there, but if you picked the two best wings for Ireland at the moment, if you de- Ireland had to take the field tomorrow, the two best wings in the country are Keith Earls and Jacob Stockdale. They're the two guys at the moment that are lighting it up every time they get the ball. So for Ulster to go and leave Moff going down to South France, I mean, it seems like they're playing for a draw or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chasing an away goal, I think. Uh, <laughs> do you reckon they can still get it done with the way they've lined up? Um, obviously, like there is the chance for players to come on and make impact off the bench, but uh, how do you reckon Ulster are going to get on before we wrap? I'd be worried because La Rochelle went to London last week and did a, a serious number on Harlequins. Yeah. They look really good team. Um, they're playing with huge confidence and at home they're going to bring it up another notch 
um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be over optimistic. I mean, you never know, as, the, as all I'll say, but in this case, I wouldn't be totally optimistic. I thought maybe someone like Stockdale could be a spark that could change things for him. But I, I think La Rochelle look a serious outfit, and the fact they won away from home last week, they're certainly not going to consider losing at home. Now, if Ulster could pull this off, it'd be a great result, but I'm, I'm not overly optimistic about it. Do, do Ulster need one of these results, lads, where... It seems like I mean certainly the the chatter up there is that like they're for the for the past say three four years they've been kind of inconsistent. You get this uh, magnificent result somewhere and then you take five steps backwards by going to Italy and losing in the mm. league or something like that. Like Stephen Ferris was talking to me about this recently and he was saying that all they're looking for is a string of consistent results and he thinks they can take off now. As it transpires, like the after a very impressive win against Wasps, it's incredibly difficult to go down to La Rochelle and get that victory. But they just need the, a kind of a, a trademark victory or like a watershed victory to propel them onto that next level, maybe alongside um, Leinster and Munster, if you were to put it in an Irish context. Yeah. Well, I think, say, for that, that defeat um, in Treviso, it's been a very progressive start to the season for mm-hmm. Ulster. Like, they've really made strides um, week on week. Um, you know, John O'Gabe's obviously coming in, Les Kiss bit of a backroom shuffle and, and as Eddie said John Cooney's been one of the finds of the season like I've seen Ulster live a couple of times this season and he's really has been he's been good place kicking he's been excellent um, and as Eddie said Jacob Stockdale you know he used the word X Factor he's exactly that you know every time he gets on the ball the crowd are on the edge of their seats um, last week the game you know on an absolute knife edge had been in a, you know an arm wrestle both packs going at each other for best part of an hour last week and, and Stockdale and Piatow combined and, and that was the game one for, for Ulster and, and as Eddie said it's been really encouraging that you know when games have been close, he mentioned the Scarlets as well when games have been close they've been able to kind of see it out and ride out that, that kind of period of, of instability for them and, and get the win so they've been good at home, um, less convincing away from home and obviously that Treviso and they struggled actually um, against Ebra as well in Italy they just about ground out the results um, in the, in the Pro 14 and lost obviously to Driso so less convincing at home and maybe that's you know Les Kiss you, you know you'd, you'd like to think that he's he's gone for as Eddie said a bit, bit of experience in the back in the back line tomorrow um, for, sorry for Sunday but um, hard to see them getting, come away from France with a result yeah so Eddie to, uh, to wrap up Munster Glasgow La Rochelle is that what you're saying? Yeah unfortunately I think so yeah unfortunately for Munster but I, unfortunately I think <laughs> It might be. It might be. I, I'm not ruling out Leinster. I think Leinster could get it done, but it'll take a big performance. I'm not saying it's not in them. That's the one I'm not sure about. I, I I'm not optimistic about Ulster and La Rochelle, but I am optimistic about Munster. I'm on the bubble over Leinster. I think they could do it, but they'll need a big performance. Fair enough. For eighty for eighty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We'll see how it plays out over the weekend. Uh, Eddie, thanks a million for joining us. Pleasure as always. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers, guys. All the best. Right, thanks a million. Thanks a million, Gav. And uh, thank you to Air Sport and for you at home for watching as well. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend. We will be back next Friday and we'll see you then. Cheers.